Hey, let me tell you something. You know, at any given point, he always told us at any given point in life, at any given point in life, what you have and don't appreciate is exactly what someone else goes down on his knees every night and prays to God for. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode. Today's guest is Raul Fossey, a very inspiring entrepreneur that grew up in Cameroon and relocated to the United States to study. He talks about his journey, what it was like growing up, building businesses, losing businesses, restarting from scratch. Honestly, it was a very inspiring story to hear about, and I'm happy to share it to you, with you. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Perfect. Raul. Welcome to Rise and Shine. Thank I think you, my thanks. I think my doorbell just went off. <laughs> what a great way to start. That's okay, man. How how you doing? Happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank thanks for having me. I'm happy. I'm happy to be part of it. Fantastic. We got a lot to discuss today. I'm I'm excited for everyone to hear about your story. So let's start with uh, the beginning. Whatever you think the beginning is, and I know you have. A a lot of experience around the world in, in both building companies and working in large companies. But let's start at the beginning, wherever you think that is. The beginning is, so like I said, first, thanks for having me. I, I, I'm excited to be part and to share my story. I'm, I'm always happy to tell stories and share my experiences and hopefully I can impact someone somewhere and help them, you know, kind of work hard and drive them towards their, mm -hmm. their own personal their own goals. So the story for me starts in, in Cameroon, West Africa. I was born and raised in, in Douala, which is the largest city in Cameroon. From French-speaking parents, I grew up with a very humble, you know, a very humble beginning. So it was in a very affluent family. We, you know, my parents had enough to pay for education, but that's about it. Um, they put a lot of money and emphasis into our schooling. And so a lot of uh, our childhood was school and school and school. And uh, we, you know, our parents were, didn't have a lot of money. They, they didn't save up a lot of money. Everything they had was just really focusing on our education and turned out pretty well because we, we all did really well. Um, and uh, were you, were really, there, were there many siblings? Yes. So I'm one of nine. One of nine. Yes, one of nine. I have seven sisters and one brother. And yeah, I'm right in the middle, right in the middle of all of them. So it's, it was an interesting, interesting household. What, what's it like being the middle child of nine? I'll tell you that it's, it's more fun being the middle child amongst women because you learn all kind, you learn women and you understand how they work <laughs> and all the different like challenges. I mean, not, not the different the challenges, all the different personalities that they have and just you understand and you learn to appreciate them a lot more, a lot more when you grew up with them and you get to understand kind of what they're, you know, what they're, what they're like. Um, and my mom is also a very, very strong woman. And, and so, yeah, it gave me a really good background with, with women in general, appreciation. And the fun fact actually about my, my family is that I, I am with my bachelor's degrees and my masters i am the least educated person in my family wow tell us more so like i said there was a lot of my parents put a lot of emphasis on our education and my two younger sisters are medical doctors my older sisters two of my older sisters are professors 
another three um, of my sisters have, <laughs> and <laughs> and the other three have masters plus a couple of professional licenses, certificates, whatever you want to call it. So, right. Yeah, yeah, a couple of yeah, plus ones. So in the family, well, actually, my brother and I are on the same level. So he's yeah, but both, you guys are. You guys are at the bottom of the ladder with We're, your master's degrees. Yes, we are. We are at the bottom of the pack. My sisters are all very, very good. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> so was there, was there like, did you, was there a healthy competition with regards to education in the family? Oh, it was definitely a competition, but it wasn't healthy uh, <laughs> because it, it was difficult growing up, especially because my sisters are very, very bright, very bright. And I mean, they were constantly like first and second, first and second, you know, it was like, always topping their classes. And I was very, I think I was very bright too, but I wasn't as hardworking as them as when I was younger, right? They were more disciplined mm. than me. I was a kid, I was a young young man trying to play basketball. So I was really good at math, really good at physics and all these things. But then I didn't, like, I was just good. So I didn't work that hard, as hard as my sisters did. And, you know, they always made me look bad. And I mean, I didn't like that growing up. And I was always my... compared to them. And I was like, well, why do I have to be compared to them? I just want to do my own thing. But they definitely motivated me to be more, to be, to try harder and to be, to, to do better in school because, you know, they just weren't, weren't playing around. And you were uh, one of nine, which was just because there's a, some studies related to this, which, what's your position in the, in the kind of the, do you have two younger siblings or one younger siblings or five younger siblings? So I have three. Three younger siblings. Because yes. there's there's at least a bit of research that suggests some of the top athletes in the world, there's a very high likelihood that they are not the eldest. And really, the hypothesis is that not being the eldest, they always had to compete with their elder siblings because the elder was was physically larger and perhaps more dominant, and they had to outplay them and work harder in order to be uh, to be the best. And so some of that, some of that might exist in the educational realm too. I wonder if there's research on that. Uh, yep, exactly. Yeah. And my sisters, I mean, my sisters were absolutely, I don't know. I mean, I felt sometimes I felt like they were just supernatural. I mean, they were like, they, I actually got more money in terms of like allowance than they did. And I spent more than them. I was more it's like, they would get less money than me and my money would run out before theirs. And I would go back to them for some, you know, it's like, and I was like, how do you guys even live? How do you function? And they just were different, man. It was just different. I, okay, I so, learned to respect that. You respect them a lot. Okay. So very strong emphasis on, on family growing up. Absolutely. 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 And I think, it, I think even beyond just my immediate family, from a cultural standpoint, Africa in general has a very strong family emphasis. So it's, it's very, very close niche and you're really close to your brothers and sisters very close to your your uncles and aunts and cousins the one thing that's the one thing that's a little surprising with the whole cultural thing with the from a family standpoint is that we are actually raised to be very very success focused right you would think that would be raised to be more family focused but we're not we're raised to be success focused that's why you see a lot of families very comfortable having their kids travel overseas and you know to go to school and to work and you know a lot of a lot of my like a lot of my sisters are overseas i'm always i was overseas for a while a lot of my friends are overseas and we spent most of our lives away from our families because we're chasing this success we're chasing this education mm -hmm. we're chasing all these things which we're raised to do 
Um, we're raised mm-hmm. to just be independent and just be like, hey, you go get what you have to get. It doesn't matter how far you have to go to get it. So would you would you say that is a reflection of culture in, in Cameroon or a broader subset of cultures or is that particular to Cameroon? No, I think it's 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 a, it's an African thing, but also it, it's mm-hmm. not just cultural. It's also it's not just so, socio. It's more what do you call socioeconomic. So it's more is driven by by the economics, you know, situation of of the of the continent in general, right? So people are just going after better opportunity to succeed. I think as things change and there's more opportunity back home, there's going to be less of that. But what I'm saying is that there is that comfort. People are comfortable with saying, "Hey." We're okay with you just being away from the family for 50 years mm. if you want to go do that and be successful. Right, right. Yeah. Got it. What happened with, how did, how did your journey around, around business start? So when I, when I traveled, so when I left Cameroon, which is 2000 and 2008, when I left Cameroon, I, I just moved to the States to go to college and do engineering. Okay. I did that for a couple, I did, did that. And uh, my first business actually started was a car wash. All right, classic. Um, <laughs> so when I'm is there good? The is state, there good? Good? Good margins on car washes? You know what? At the time, it was really good. I was able to save money enough money to pay my way to community college. All right, that's pretty good. Because when I came here, my parents couldn't afford it, and my dad told me it's like I, the tuition at the time I think was seven grand per semester, and that's more than my dad makes probably in a year or something. Right. And he was like, yeah, I can't, I can't afford that. So I came in and, you know, a year into my time, I was out of school, out of the dorms, and I had to come up with a business that I could do to make some money. And as an international student, I wasn't allowed to go just apply for a job at McDonald's. You can't, you can't do that. You have to, you know, they give you a social security card that has a writing on it that says, this guy's not allowed to work anywhere. And so, you know, I had to kind of find a way to make some cash money. And so this this strikes me as something that's 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 out of the ordinary. So you had done a year of college at that point, is that right? Yes. How did so you I, how did you and I'm sure you'll, you'll listen, but you decided did you take did you take out a loan? Did you raise some money? Was it like you could pay it off uh, as the business profited? How did you land on a car wash? And then we'll keep going. So I actually so when I came here, my dad gave me paid for my first semester. So he took some loans amongst, you know, back home with some friends and was able to pay for my first semester of tuition. Mm. And he told me, he was like, hey, I hope, and I told him that he told me he won't be, he doesn't think he'd be able to pay it more than that. This is like, that's all I'll be able to do. And I told him, don't worry, I'm sure there's going to be some scholarships in the U.S. This, they got scholarships all, for everyone. That wasn't the case. So when I got here, <laughs> after a semester right. of college, at the time I was doing aerospace engineering, after a semester of college, I, I was able to enroll to the next semester because you can enroll and then pay after. So I went to school okay. for one year. But then after that first year, when I owed, I, my dad didn't, wasn't able to pay for that second semester with the tuition. So I wasn't allowed to enroll the third semester. That's okay. when I got, you know, a couple months after that, I got kicked out of college and then got kicked out of the dorms. And then I was homeless for some time, for a couple months. And at oh, that oh, point- Oh my God, tell, tell us more about this. Yeah, so at that point, I am in this situation where I, I have, and also I lost my status as a, you know, as a, as an international student, right? I don't have any money and I'm not going to tell my dad that I'm out of school because he's going to freak out and start wanting to maybe sell his house or whatever. My sisters are in med school. They're still trying to get through theirs. So I understand that he has a lot of things that he has to take care of. So I liked my dad that I got a scholarship and I'm good. Oh boy. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. And, and and so I and then I but I and and I had I had bought like a little car. I think I bought a Hyundai XG three fifty two thousand and two, and it was really nice black car. So when I get kicked out, so I I'm trying to figure out what to do. I've been in the states a year, and I'm like get kicked out of the dorms. Like, dude, you can't be in school anymore because you don't, you know, you're not a student. I was like, okay. So I get all my stuff. I had a few things put in my car and I'm like, all right, I got to figure out what to do. So I just drive around and, you know, I usually park at Walmart and just go, you know, to the YMCA and just to take my showers there and I'll go play. I'll still go play soccer with my friends. At night, I'll go out and go out with my friends. And I put ads. So in the beginning, I put ads on Craigslist. So I'll go and help people mow their yards. I'll go and help people just do odd jobs, paint their house, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, so I was just going to pick up things. I used to just pick up things on, on, on Craigslist and make a little cash in. And that's how I was just surviving, paying for gas, paying for food for a while. And then I came up with the idea to just say, hey, you know, this car wash thing might be a good thing. But And also because it was cheap to start, it didn't require a lot of money. Just starting a car wash, you just need some car wash products. I already had my car. I needed a vacuum. I needed, I did some research for like, what are some really good products? And I, and I made the flyer. I, I, I one need, of my friends. Physical, uh, I want to, I'll probably, we'll probably come back to this. I mean, talk, talk about resilience that you, yeah. you decided. And it was so, I guess it, it was fortunate that you had a car, right? That you were, you had yes, a car to be in. Definitely. Definitely. The car was a big, big deal. And wow. I bought the car thinking about the future. I knew that at some point I'm, I'm I might need this car to just survive. So I bought the car. And also I have made some really good friends. One of my friends, Trina, her name is Trina Wheeler. Wheeler. She's an older lady that I met through another friend of mine. You know, she was very supportive. And and and, and I think part of my 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 success was the people that I met when I just got here. I met the one of the professors at Wichita State at the time. Her name was Debbie Wadman. She was a German professor and she was super nice, super nice. So she would make me food from time to time. I'll go hang out with her. And at the time she was dating this lady called Trina. And so I met, you know, and I was hanging out with them and I would help Debbie go do like chores at her house, mow her yard, come and organize her house and vacuum, dusting, stuff like that. And she would give me meals and she would give me some cash. But then, but the car wash idea was, was, was interesting because I realized that and again, I was thinking solutions. Like there's a lot of people that don't have time to wash cars. And and you know, and I looked around and going and detailing your car costs you like hundred bucks to detail your car. And it's like, man, I got time, I'm not doing anything. So I made this flyer, which I which Debbie found, I think a couple of years ago. She found that flyer, the original one sent oh, it to man. me my email somewhere. You gonna um, frame you gonna frame it? I'm going to, I'm going to frame it. <laughs> And then, so I went to like the really, really nice neighborhoods and said, hey, I will come to your house at your time and wash your car, detail inside out, in and oh out. My That's my, that hours. was my next, that was my next question. Like, how did you, did you have, like, I was wondering about the fixed cost of a physical space, but you did it differently, kind of almost on demand before everything was on demand. I'll come exactly. to you. Exactly. Save exactly. you time. Wow. Exactly. You said, you said $25. $25. And now, and then all I, and all I needed was just to buy the products. And then I needed uh, a shop vac and, and then a power, like a, a power washer. So I trained my friend, Trina actually lended me, I think $200, I think. I think, I think she, she lended me $200 and she was very supportive of that. And so I just went to the really nice neighborhoods in Wichita. This was in Wichita, Kansas, and just kind of handed them out. 
and just and I went to some neighborhoods and just knock doors and just hand them out. And sometimes they'll call the cops on me and I'll have to kind of not go there anymore. And you know, it was it was very interesting. It was a very, very interesting experience. And then before I knew it, you'd be I mean, I was shocked, but people just started calling me. Now when I look back at it in hindsight, I realized that it was really cheap for paying, you know, you know, for detailing a car. It was, it sounds really, I mean, we're giving you better service and we're charging you less, but it sounds like cheap, but maybe that was why that people saw it and they're like, wow, what, this is better on service. This is better on my time. This is better on cost. So why wouldn't we do this? That the downside being, we don't know, Ro, we don't trust them yet. But the upside being is there's so many improvements to me having to drive and leave my car, get it detailed. What, what would it like, how much, what, how much of a discount were you offering? Like, what would it otherwise cost someone to do all the the washing, the detailing, et cetera, at that time. I mean, for what I was doing, I mean, I was doing a very extensive, extensive cleaning. I mean, I was doing literally everything that you would do with detailing. The only thing that I didn't do was like stain removal on chairs and stuff like that, because it's just, it's, it's a little more involving, but I mean, I was doing everything. It took me in the beginning, it would take me three hours per car in the beginning. And so, 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 sorry, at this point you are, you are actually, you're living in the car, you're still going out with your friends. Yep. You're, I, I heard someone else recently, it's a martial arts coach of mine. He was saying like, any entrepreneur has to have a good backup plan for a worst case scenario. And he was like, yeah, I'll just, I, I would live in my car. I'd get a gym membership so I can shower. I'd try to have a Costco membership so I can buy in bulk and I'd be a waiter so I could work and maybe eat in the back when on the off shifts. I was like, man, you got this a good plan, but you actually implemented all of this and then you launch a business and then the business starts working. Yep. And then what happened? And, and then people just really took to the story because I would tell them, I'm a student. Like I, I was like, Hey, here's my name. Here's who I am. I don't, I mean, you can look me up. And I was like, Hey, you, I can show you my student ID. I used to go to Wichita state. I'm just trying to pay my way back. And people were so responsive. I, I mean, I, the minimum that I got from a car wash was about $40, $50. Mm. Um, so I got a lot more than what I was asking for most of the times and people would call me back. Uh, and before I knew it, I was, I was getting a lot of traction. I mean, I was getting, you know, washing three, four, five cars a day. Right. And, and then eventually I was able to, you know, I think I was, I ended up being without a home for maybe what, two and a half months. And, you know, I was able to get an apartment before, actually, before I got an apartment, my friend Debbie allowed me to come stay at her house and in exchange for chores. So, so I would, she, she gave me, she had, she had, a, she had, a, I think a five, five bedroom house. And she had two, two girls that were at the time, I think 16 and 17 or four, 15 or something. And I would, and she allowed me to come and stay there and, and I would do chores and stuff like that. And in hindsight, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty shocked that she did that. Uh, when I think about it now, I'm like, man, for someone that is a young man that you've you've known for maybe a few months, allowing him to come and just kind of stay in your house when you have young girls and stuff like that, you know, there was a big trust factor um, in there. And her and I have remained really, really good friends till today. But that was a that was a big, you know, at that time that that was a that was that was a big part of it. And then a couple months after that, I was able to find an apartment. Well, a few months. I think I stayed with her for a few months and I got an apartment um, and I got on my own. And then after doing the car wash for some time, I think I did that for maybe eight months. I saved a lot, enough money actually to go, my, go back to college, except that when I went back to Wichita State to try to get back to school, they wanted me to pay off all the seven grand that I owed them. 
Mm. And I was like, I don't have seven grand. I can pay you little by little. They're like, nope, you can't. We can't do that. You have to pay everything off. And, oh, you know, you can't enroll. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do that. And so I was like, can you give me my transcript? They're like, nope. So I actually had to go and start over. What? Why can't they give you their transcript? Because I owe them money. So they were withholding this transcript because you hadn't paid. Yep. So they they were like, we won't give you the proof of your of the fact yep. that you actually participated because the payment hasn't come through. Yep. Wow. Yep. So I actually had to go back to community college and I started over. Wow. Retook retook math and it took me another year and a half. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship then out of that community college. And that's how I went to Kansas State. And you know. Yeah, that's how I went to Kansas State, and I went. Then I switched to mechanical engineering there, and then I left the car wash, and then three years after that, I was graduating. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot of resilience here. Very inspiring. So after, so three years later, you graduate. So I graduated in 2014. 2014. I got here in 2008, or ending at the end of 2007. When I got here, and I'll tell you that that was the first time I cried. My graduation. Tears of joy. It was just, just everything. It, I, I honestly, I mean, going through it, I, I didn't think I was actually ever going to graduate. It just seemed like it was such a far. It just seems like that was just a far, just so far away. And you know, a lot of my friends that were that I got here at the same time as me, I had been to all their graduations, right? Because they were done way before yeah. me, and some that came even after me had graduated already. Most of my mates were, I mean, I was, they were done with, I was 27 when I was graduating. And most of those kids I was graduating with were like 21, 22, right? And I tried to invite my parents to my graduation here and they didn't give them visas, right? So then I ended up like, it was just, it's just me at my graduation and it was, it was tough. And, and it was the one time that I actually started remembering like the journey and just everything it took to get there. It was emotional. That was the first time I actually broke down and I was, I mean, it was uncontrollable. That's never happened to me where I just couldn't even stop. <laughs> wow. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, I'd say it's probably the most, it was probably one of the most important days, you know, in the past, in the past few years, I remember before I had kids. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is, that is emotional. That is emotional. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. What, what happened? Well, what happened after? I know you, you built some, some, fantastic businesses thereafter especially one that we can we talked about in the past yes so i skyview happened and started in 2019 between so after i graduated i got hired by cargill right out of college and i worked with them i held different roles as a project engineer plant supervisor plant superintendent and I'd say a lot of who I became professionally was because of them. I learned so much about just management, operations, leading people. They take you through so many. They took us through so many trainings. I worked in different environments, in different plants, in different states. I worked in Texas, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania. And I got to, I got to meet really a variety of cultures of people and, and really got me very, very versed with just leading and management and operations and all that. improvement. How long uh, were you with Cargo? Six years. Six years. Okay. Yeah. It's five, five. Yeah. A little over five years. Yeah. But, th- but that worked at three different, I was very successful with them as well. I, I worked at three different plants in the last 
and each the last three years, I was highest performing supervisor and manager at the plants where I was. Yeah, I went into that. Based on this story, I wouldn't have expected anything less than that. So fantastic. <laughs> it's just I just work I just work from a different place. I think you know, I I came. I, people usually looked at my my experience, like my my work. My years of experience never matched my work. That's what I always got. People always tell me, like, you've only been out of college for two years. How are you thinking like somebody that has been working for you know, 10 years? I got that all the time because I was I was on a different different level mentally. Mm. Yeah. And then 2000, 2000, 2007, I started thinking about, but then as I got more successful, you know, I kind of went through, and this is the interesting part about, I think, my journey is that I've been through like all the different social classes, right? By the time I'm leaving cardio, I am upper middle class in terms of earning, right? And I went from, you know, I look at my tax returns. I, it's always cool looking at my tax returns throughout the years where my first tax returns, I think I was declaring, I don't know, 12,000 or something like that, mm. you know? And then looking at my last tax returns before I quit cardio and I was over, you know, way over 100,000, right? And I'm thinking, you know, it's like, and I, I can understand, I can understand the difference in these classes. And, you know, and then as I got more successful, I started really wondering about, you know, purpose. It's like, okay, I've, you know, I, at the time when I was not making enough money, my goal, my objective was to make money. It was like, hey, if I can mm -hmm. make this much money, then I feel like I've, I've arrived, like I'm good, right? And that, that was the driver. It was a, a success. Like I told you, the success story, like from back home, to be successful, you have to be able to get some financial stability and all these things. And I could help my family do all these things. But as I got more successful <clears throat> and I could afford whatever I wanted. And, and I think the, to me, the, the cap of that success story was, you know, and I had owned, I had bought a couple of houses and, you know, at one point I was like, I really want to buy a really nice car. Mm. And I, and I bought this uh, 2015 BMW X5. Nice. To me, that was like my, I've arrived cars like you know what I'm yeah good. I get that yeah and it wasn't even a good buy but I didn't care it was like I just feel like I want this so I'm buying it but again as I got to that point I started thinking more about okay like is this it is this is this what this was all about like was this whole journey about just being successful and then that's it and then the more I thought about it the more the more it, the answer to that was no I, I felt like I, it wasn't enough I feel like that's not this is not what it was about I feel like there's more to it there's more to a story uh, there's more to be done and then I started thinking about, you know, going back home and, you know, my family and really the time with them, the time, you know, impacting and thinking more about my purpose. You know, what, what is it that, you know, I, I went through a seminar with Cardio where they asked us, it's called the seven habits. I know you've heard about seven habits of highly effective people. Mm. That, that seminar changed everything for me. Where they asked you, they said, imagine yourself at your own funeral and someone is really in eulogy about you. What would you want them to be saying about you? What is it? What's the one thing that you want people to be that when you're done? What is it that you want you to be remembered for? And that stuck with me, right? Because I thought about it. I was like, man, I I, I don't want to be remembered for, for being the richest man in the world for sure. Now, or I want to be remembered remembered for the impact that I had in people's lives, right? I want people to say by his actions he had a positive impact on my life. That's it. And then that's that's how there was a switch in my mind, saying, okay, now I have to. How do I do this? How do I get to this point? And then I started thinking about going back home because there's so much opportunity there. So I started thinking about, okay, I want to start a business. How old were you, were you at that time? I didn't want to interrupt you because you're on a roll and this is just such yes. this is powerful stuff, man. This is the, the, the evolution of 
I think of of the human psyche that that our our needs and the way we perceive life change yep. change as we, yep. as we go through it, and it's it's really inspiring to hear. How how old were you when you just when you were in the transition making that switch to go I was, back? I was I think I was about I was about 30. 30, 31 is about when it was. About 30, 31 is when I started thinking, you know, differently about purpose and vision, and and yeah, yeah, I. I started thinking about, you know, how do I, and, and one of my biggest drivers was how do I bring about change? Because when I, when I grew up, so when I grew up back home, <clears throat> like my, my, the reason why I had to travel overseas is because there's not as much opportunity, right? And there's not as much opportunity there. And so you have to go here to get a lot of stuff done. And I used to think that if I can do, if I can do my part, in such a way that kids that are growing up, you know, my kids or my kids' kids don't have to do that, then I, I think that that would be, you know, that would be an impactful. Also, I, I realized that by traveling overseas for this success that we're chasing, we are actually trading something that is finite for something that's infinite, right? Like I look back at the past 10 years of my life, I went back home three times and I spent maybe a month at a time with my parents. So in the past 10 years, all come all together, I gave, I spent three months of the past 10 years with my parents and my family. And so I, I gave up over nine years in terms of time for money, for success. And as I got older, as when I got, think, I got to thinking about it, I realized that I was just not a fair trade because time is gone. It's gone forever. But money, you can make it. I can make money when I'm 50. I can make money when I'm, you know, 30, 40. But time is finite. So once, you know, this time is gone, it's gone. And I, I started realizing that it's not a fair trade. And I have to find, and I have to, I have to sacrifice. And, and, I, and I got to a point where I was willing to give up, you know, what was infinite for what was finite. And that's what was like one of the drivers for me saying, you know what, I'm willing to give up all this to go back home and get some of this face time, get some of this, you know, important time with family and stuff like that. My parents, especially because they're getting old. Um, and the life expectancy back home is 55 or something like that. It's not very much. My, both my parents are over that. So it did. Yeah, that, that's profound. That's profound. If you, if you, let's say you replayed the, uh, the video game of, of life, the simulation of life and you, and you started mm-hmm. over, do you think that it, it was a requirement that, you know, the, the, as the player of the game, you first have to see what it's like to give up something finite for something inf- infinite before realizing that the trade is unfair and you switch over? Or do you think that without having achieved the, the success you had, uh, granted because of all the part, hard work you put in, do you think you still would have come to the same conclusion that uh, I'm trading too much time for money had you not achieved the success you had achieved? Oh, absolutely not. I, I, don't, I would never have gotten to this point without achieving this. Um, and even if you think, and that's that's why I really like ha- Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because mm-hmm. I think that I I I can I can identify to that. Um, I I think that I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been able to get to this point without getting to through what I got through. And also I, I also think that even my way of thinking is comes from a privileged position, right? Really? Because, why do you say that? Be- because I I can afford to say that, right? I can afford to. I can afford to say this: people that people that can't that don't have enough financial stability or that don't have a mean a, a ways out of of things, 
you're not going to just get up and take some of these financial risks, right? I I I have an education that allows me like if everything goes goes to crap, I can come back and say, hey, I can find a job. And even when I go back home, I can I have a, a, enough background in operations that I can probably find a way to get some cash, right? So so I think my my privileged positions allows me the luxury also to to engage in this in these conversations. And and I think that's that also comes with the responsibility to to take action, right? Because some people don't have this privilege and don't have the luxury to 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 think this way or to even go this route because they they just can't afford it. I think I can, maybe not as much as other people. And I think that the fact that I'm able to comes to the responsibility to do so. I think I've said wow like thirty times in this podcast, but but anyways, that's a very it's it's a it's a humbling it's a humbling statement. I'm speaking to someone who who has come from a position that is that you know with a, a country in the global south that's traditionally less access to the socioeconomic ladder has has traveled to a different country has has been homeless has lived in his car has started a business on his own and put his way through school and and then still has the you know the evolution of psychology to say I am still privileged compared to some or compared to many. And so anyways, that's just very, it's a great, a great trait, uh, an impressive trait. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, 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 and I think that's one of the biggest, biggest things that keeps me going, even in the hardest times that, that acknowledgement and, and, and recognition that even in the most difficult times, my dad used to tell us that when we were growing up, he said that at any given point, because like when we grew up, we didn't have, and that's something that has just not been a thing for me. We didn't have Christmas presents or birthday presents, all those things. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't much celebration. It was about school. Like if you did really well, you might have a present if you succeed in school. So it was like very reward system. And from time to time as kids, we would be dramatic. I'm like, man, I want this toy. You know, why, why do I not get this? You know, mm-hmm. I want a new shoe. And sometimes you, I'll be crying about it. And my dad will sit you down and say, hey, let me tell you something. You know, at any given point, he always told us at any given point in life, at any given point in life, what you have and don't appreciate is exactly what someone else goes down on his knees every night and prays to God for, right? He says, so your life, the way you have it now, the way you feel like it's, it's not so good. Like some, somebody's off somewhere just praying for you exactly. If God could give me just Raul's life exactly as it is with all his problems, I'll be the happiest person in the world. Right? And that's wise, a mindset. Wise man. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a state of mind that I, I try to keep, I keep in, 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 yeah, do things. And, and that, that, that keeps me going for sure. Well, one of the reasons why I do this podcast also is just my, uh, my own selfish interest in being able to have conversations with people. So I thank you because this is, this is really valuable. Raul, thank you for sharing this. Do you want to, do you want to tell us about the story behind, uh, behind Skyview? Yeah. So Skyview, I bought my first drone and I'm also, I'm also very, always very like into like, I read a lot and just kind of tech and stuff. I'm very much into that. So I bought my first drone, 2000, and I just kind of read about drones a while ago, and you know, I saw some trends. Somebody was talking about, oh, this is the future. A lot of things are going to go to drones. This is 2000 and yeah, 2016. It's like, oh, this is going to be big, whatever. I was like, okay, it's interesting, it's fun, and I was like, oh, I'll check it out. So I bought my first drone and just started flying it. And initially, I was just wanting to like just take cool pictures because I, I I like taking pictures. So I just like taking cool pictures. 
And then as I read more about it and then watch more videos, I started seeing, hearing about photogrammetry. It's like, oh, you can use drones to do a lot of mapping and all these things. It's like, oh, this is cool. So the more I read about it, the more interesting it got. And I started going to conferences. You know, I went to, you know, I found out about Drone Deploy and they had a conference in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, let me go check it out. I've never been from, so I got up there, met people. And when I got, when I left that place, I was like, oh, I have to make this into a business because there's, there's a lot of opportunity and I started doing to travel back home to learn to see, hey, what's being done there? What drones are people are doing? And there was nothing. And I was like, oh, this is a, this is a great opportunity. I so the, the camera, the marketing camera room at the time, nobody was using was using drones. No, the, nobody was nobody was using drones for for industrial applications. It was mostly like photos and videos. So I traveled a couple of times, you know, did some did some surveys, did a little market study, and I realized, that, hey, there's a huge opportunity in Cameroon and in Africa. I was like, man, this is it. This is this is this is my opportunity. And and so I was like, and I started working on the business side. At the time I had just started my MBA as well. I was like, this is my opportunity. So I just started working on it, start working on it. And then a couple of years after that, I felt comfortable enough to say, hey, this is the time to just to go. And I think we time, we kind of we we kind of quickly skipped over the fact that you also completed an MBA degree, right? Thereafter, yeah. you also did that, but okay. But let's focus on the on the on the drone on the drone journey. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah, and so in 2019, I I was actually doing really well with Cargill. They were getting ready to start build a plant in in Cameroon, and I was part of that project, which was very exciting. But mm. then it got delayed, and there's some other things happening. And they're like, "Well, you know, we want you." They wanted to send me to a different country first and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I, I think I want to, I want to go now. I didn't want to delay this. The technology moves so fast. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't want to wait maybe another year before I said, I want to go now. So I quit. About that, about on, on that specific point, I, I find as an individual, look, trying to figure out when the right time is for a technology, it's, uh, it's hard to get exact answers. Did you feel like, did you have a, a gut instinct? Did you feel like I'm a little bit late compared to these people? Like these people are are, go, are already ahead of me, but if I start now, I should have a good shot in, in these markets. Or did you feel I'm 100% certain that I am ahead of the curve? Oh, I was definitely not 100% certain I was ahead of the curve, but I, I didn't feel late. I feel like, you know what? It feels about right. I, I, and again, at the time, to be to be fair, I did not know a lot. A lot. I, I was, I thought, I knew I know now that I knew I knew less than than I, than I thought I did. So yeah, there's a there's a few great sayings around that that as as a, watch me butcher it here, but it's something like as the the fire of our knowledge grows, our the sphere of our ignorance is illuminated. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, there's a few, yep, there's a few like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And at the time, it was like I don't. It didn't, and it didn't even. I don't think it mattered too much where I was. It was about just. I had I had this mindset that no matter where I position myself, I can differentiate myself. Even if there was, even if I'm not the first, I I am. I was confident that I can differentiate myself from the people that are that are already doing it, and that was my goal. So and and then I went for it. So I sold my house, sold my cars, and then I quit my job, and then I was off. Oh boy. Yeah. Sold everything and you went, you're off, you moved back home, back to Cameroon. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was very, it was very crazy. I, I, I didn't even know how you can move. I was like, how do I, where, where's my address <laughs> supposed to be when I'm not here anymore? Like, how am I supposed to like, 
where's my meal gonna go? It's like another question that he never answers for. So I just like I, I don't know how it's gonna happen. I just put my I just, so I just moved my address to one of my friends' house, and then and that was it. And I was and I just left. This was in this was in May no no April, two thousand nineteen. Oh oh one thing that actually one th one thing that contributed to that actually I forgot to skip this part that that triggered sped up a little bit my return is that about four months before no maybe three months before that we found out my mom had colon cancer oh. and 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 that also changed everything it was like man again it it, it, it put this whole time thing in perspective for me mm. i was like yeah i don't i i can't afford to just kind of be over here and just making money like that money is not that important this time is definitely sped up the time frame for me and so i had to go home and spend time with her. We had to send her to France to go get some, some chemo. She's doing much better now. That's, thank God, she's doing much better. She spent about a year and a half doing chemo and she got through it. And uh, and so, yeah, that, that sped up things a little bit. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. So you, you landed back home in Cameroon? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then you said, let's launch a, a drone business for to inspect commercial buildings after damage. Or am I... Am I simplifying the process a little bit there? I think you're doing pretty good at, at presenting it. Um, <laughs> so, so I did a lot of that work before I actually moved back home. So I had been back a couple of times for a month to find look for offices. I went back there to meet people, do some trials. So I took a drone back. I did some, you know, met with some construction companies and did a few things before I actually created a company I had started. So you did some testing first to, to try to mitigate the risk to, to oh, validate oh. that some of your assumptions were correct. Absolutely. I even did recruiting before I moved back, right? So by the time I was moving back, I had the office, I had my staff, and it was just So like, that's okay. just to, just for the listeners to, to understand, and even, even for myself or, or future self or my past self, uh, whatever linear time you want to follow, the point is that you didn't just decide with a snap of the fingers that you're like, everything is, I think it's time, so I'm going to sell everything and figure it out later. You, While it may seem like that at the surface, you did have a lot of actual actions that you took to to validate your assumptions and mitigate risk. Very true. Very true. It wasn't just like, okay, now I'm just going to go and start. It was like, okay, it was a process, right? I, I got in the, during that time, I got my, my FAA drone pilot license here in the U S you know, during that time I recruited people and I started working with them, you know, virtually and just kind of training them and setting, building the company, building, you know, the, 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 the product and building the companies, you know, defining the roles, defining operations, things like that. So we did a lot of the legwork while I was here and I would travel back and forth. And then we found- How long is the flight? How long is the flight? About 20 hours. Wow. 20 hours plus some jet lag. Did you, did you just spend a couple of days back home before going back to the States? A couple of weeks? Um, what do you mean? In your, in, your, in your back and forth trips, like were you just going to Cameroon for the weekend or what? No, no, no. I'll go there for three weeks. Okay. <laughs> go there for three weeks. <laughs> Uh, because you, you have to factor a couple of days just for traveling. Yeah. You leave here one day, you get there the next day at night. So it's a, it's a full day and that takes you two days for sure. And so when I got there, we had found the, and, and I think the luxury also, one of the reasons why the luxury that we have back home is that we have very, very low operational cost, right? So I found an office downtown that cost me about 400 bucks a month, right? And this is a pretty nice office. There are three, three rooms, and it was right, right downtown. 
Right. Uh, on, a, on one of the main streets, it cost me 400 bucks a month. And right. I paid I paid a year worth of rent. I had. Right. And yeah. and my, my staff doesn't cost, my staff is, a, I have a staff of engineers and they cost me, you know, about 500 bucks a month each. Right. So, so very, for, very, so strategically low operating costs. Exactly. And, and exactly. And, and, and that's, and that's well paid. All right. It's, it's, it's well paid for, for, mm-hmm. the, for the, for the environment and for the complete age of the company. So from a, from an operational standpoint, there was a lot of planning that went into how we're going to do it, what the plan was. And then when I went back home, we just, we'll go to work in the morning and, you know, get to the office. We painted the office, we you know, bought some furniture and everything, and then started working. Do you, did you have contacts in the industry that you would, was there a lot of, for your first customers, was it an intro? Was it a cold? Was it a referral? How did, how did you get the first customers? Most of our customers were, so our first customer was the big, which has probably been our biggest customer till this to date, was this company called Adventa Global. They're a loss adjusting firm in, in UK. They there was a there was a massive. Uh, maybe I should maybe I should maybe I should kind of tell people exactly what is it that Skype you. <laughs> I was just thinking that I was like we <laughs> totally skipped the value proposition of of the business. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should start with that. So what Skype does is we use drones, and scanners, and software and some artificial intelligence to create digital twins of physical structures. And then we use the software to recreate. So we use the drones and the scanners to capture the assets. First of all, we use the software to transform these assets into digital twins. And then we use artificial intelligence to extract information from these twins to provide solutions to companies. And a simple example of that is in doing an inspection of a building. Rather than having someone climb on the building or climb on the roof to go and physically take pictures of rust or pictures of holes or whatever, the drone can go up there and recreate the whole roof in 3D and then insert that into a software that will detect the rust automatically and then give you a report automatically of like, hey, here's, here's, your, here's your situation on your roof. You haven't sent anyone up there. It's much quicker. It's much more effective, and it's just easier. Right? So that's that's what we do on in many industries. Got it. And I, I looked at some of the the footage of the 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 quality of the of the images. Very very high quality images. Yep. 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 And and I mean and 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 we're and the technology is growing, and we're constantly you know evolving and getting more more drones like we just i just got the my latest drone this is skydio it's an american one i mean it has a 45 megapixel camera and it gives you like 4k you know 4k images and stuff it's pretty high-end stuff and so you get more and more quality as time goes but yeah that's a nutshell what we do got it and so okay so back to the first customer first customer like i said was advanta global they're they're the loss adjusting firm for the insurance company called Swiss Re is probably the number one or number two, you know, insurance company in, in the world or the UK. And in 2019, there was a massive explosion in, in Sonara. Sonara is the largest company in Cameroon and also the largest um, oil and gas refinery. 
uh, there was a massive explosion that I mean was all over the news and really I think there was even had some some fatalities and stuff like that. Um, they had to shut down that plant for I think maybe three or four months uh, because it was, it was pretty bad. It shook the whole city. It shook the whole city. And so the insurance company sent no. Advanta Global was the one was the company that was responsible for coming and doing the investigation and finding the root cause and then you know kind of doing the whole loss adjustment process to re rebuild the plant. And typically, what they would do in these situations is that they would have to ex import all their experts. And they had some like fire experts coming from the U.S. They had some you know structural expert coming from from the UK, I mean, they have, they just have a plethora of just like this experts, engineers from all over the place coming into Cameroon to do assessments and to visit all the lot of, uh, things. A lot of, lot of so, coordination, so lot of coordination and logistics to do that. Exactly. So they called upon us now to recreate the, this blast zone in 3D. And, and so we went in there and actually flew and, and remodeled the whole thing in 3D and sent it to them, to their team. And because, and, and, and they were able to access actually the, 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 the blast zone in 3D and actually do a big part of the investigation virtually. And they could travel through the, the space, travel through the blast zone and really make, take, not just travel visually, but they could actually take measurements and do everything they needed to do. And because of that, they saved about a third in their logistic cost. Right, and they got they completed their job in half the time they would have normally done just for, from travel, from a travel standpoint. Less expensive, uh, faster, and safer. Yep, pure, pure innovation. Yep, and they were so impressed by it that they invited me to the UK to present to uh, their board of directors meeting. Uh, so I went to London for three days. I gave this whole presentation on 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 on, on what we did, and I mean it was it was really amazing, and it, it was it was one of the things that really drove us in the beginning it, 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 it validated what we were doing because even them coming from the uk they hadn't seen they had never seen that before in the uk and, and you know so it, it was nice to get that recognition and then we, we we signed an agreement with them to be the first person on the ground for all the like this if they have any incidents in in the west and central africa region that will go out there and be the first to you know and and since then we've had we've done two other jobs for them Right. So that, that was, that was a, that was a big one. That was a big one for us. And you delighted your first customer and it, and it built it from there. Just, yep. did you, I don't know if I'm, I can't remember if you said it or not. How did you initially get in contact with them? Like the, the initial intro to that company for, for discussions? Was it, did you know them from Cargill? Did you, did someone intro you? Did you email them? No, someone, someone, so they, when they came into Cameroon and they were looking for, they had asked for a drone pilot. They say we're looking for a drone pilot. And it's a crazy story because there was some, there was a kid that had a drone in Cameroon that had, was, I think he was related to the guy that was their local representative in Cameroon. So when they asked, they asked the, 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 that guy, he, he connected him to that kid. He had a little drone and he was like, and, and then they, the guys from the UK asked this kid, they say, Hey, can you send us a, a video of your work? And the kid was like, yeah. And he went on YouTube and got some drone footage and sent it to them. And they realized that it was a fake thing. And they're like, dude, this is, we know this is not you. We can see that this is from YouTube. <laughs> so they got upset and they're like, yeah, this, this is not serious, I guess. And they're like, well, maybe just forget it. You know, it seems like you guys maybe don't have the expertise for this and that. And then 
and then and then that's when I guess I had met someone else that was connected to the, that person. So the guy called that 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 guy in Cameroon called his friend, and that friend's like, "Oh, I met this guy that came from the U.S. He he has drones. I don't know, you know, how good he is, but you might call him." So this guy calls me at 6 a.m. in the morning, and I, I get oh. up. I get up about usually about five every day. So he calls me at six a.m. Okay. in the morning. And he's like, "Hey, this is this so and so. I was wondering if you're, you know, you have a drone." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I was wondering if you, are you available to, you know, for a job?" I was like, "Sure." He's like, "Can you meet us at seven <laughs> today?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and this is no joke. He's like, "You meet us at seven. And I never someone that I didn't know. It's like meet us at so and so hotel. This job, I can't tell you anything about it because it's it's pretty it's, it's, it's kind of a high whatever important job so i'm not i can give you details but can you as long as you can you, you know what you know how to fly drones and stuff we just want someone that can fly drones and stuff i was like okay sure so i get my drone and i met him at seven and and that's how from there i met the and this guy was a local representative in cameroon but he was french speaking okay. so his english was horrible and so eventually i get there and i met this guy from the uk and then we started like just yapping going on in and out like oh i'm like you know, so I'm talking to them now and explaining to the guy what they're saying, and he doesn't know what he's talking. So eventually, I built my relationship with them, and you know, I they just wanted to get pictures and videos. And I was like, "You guys, you guys have never been scratched the surface of what we can do." And they're like, "What can you do?" So then, I did the whole modeling and everything, and of just a small section of of the blast zone, and, and I sent it to them, and it was so blown away. They're like, "Yeah, just map the whole thing. We want everything." Uh, map the whole blast zone and and you know it, it was it was very good i had a really good i mean we had a really good experience with, with those guys but but how we came together was very very on yeah how do you as an early stage company dealing with a large company like that how did you structure the some of the legal aspects or some of the payment terms how did you feel confident that you were going to get paid did you say pay me uh 10%, 40%, 50% now, did you say, oh, I don't have any leverage, so you have to pay me 100% after it's done? How did it work? I, 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 to be honest, I, I didn't think about that. You just at said, point, yes, I'll build it, and hopefully they pay me. Yes. At, the, at that time, it was so important for me to just work and just get some validation for what I was doing that it didn't matter. Right? It's like, I will do this, and then you pay me. And, and I am a believer in, in people paying for value, right? I was like, if I, I'm convinced that if I show you value, you're going to pay me for it. And really my focus was just on, on delivering the highest possible value of what I can do. And then, you know, then deal with the finances. So I just, and even the prices that I'm quoting for them, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm just going to come up with the price because there's no reference for me. It was like, oh, right. um, okay, maybe a hundred bucks an hour. So I'm like, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. It was more about getting work done, and, and but I actually end up making a lot of money. I think just working with them, I made probably I don't know, probably thirty thousand dollars, something like that. I mean, it was a lot of money for for good size time. for a first contract, for, for yeah. a startup. Yeah, yeah. started was was a lot of money. I wanted to just because I want to be respectful of your time, and we had booked an hour. How, what happened from 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 that point in time when when Skyview started? to where you are slash what you're doing today. Can you, can you resume all that? <laughs> and I, I, I have to tell you that 2020 has been easily the most difficult year of my life. Easily. Oh, okay. Easily. I mean, and keep in mind my background, 
you know, yeah. some things I've been through. 2020 has been easily the most difficult year of my life. I mean, I, I got into entrepreneurship not really understanding entrepreneurship. I, I thought I did, but I really had no idea what I was doing. From a technical standpoint, I, I had a decent idea. But from a business standpoint, you know, I, I had experience operating, managing people, leading. But I, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, startups, and finances, and funding. And, you know, my idea at the time was like, oh, I'm going to just take all this money. And I, I think I've invested altogether at this point, maybe $150,000. Like, I'm going to take all this money that I have. I'm going to invest it. And as I'm working within the first year, I'm going to make enough money to just live a good life and just keep going from there. And I'm not going to need anyone. I don't need any partners. I just want to keep like, you know, full ownership of my business. Why would I want to give any of it away? And stuff like, it was just a very, very different way of looking at business. A very naive way of looking at business. And then within the first, you know, within the first few, few months, you know, I started realizing that, no, it's not, it's not working like I thought. It's not, the plan is not turning out like I expected it to be, right? It's not, business is not coming as quick as I thought it was going to come. The finances, my, there's, I don't have as much cash flow as I expected I would have by now. You know, I, I don't have enough contingency. I'm running out of money completely. I mean, I think maybe nine months into Skyview, I was at zero, literally at zero. I had spent everything. Um, I didn't have even money to feed myself or to pay for gas or to go to work, right? And then, and also, and then I started started looking around. And then I started looking around for ways to raise money, right? I started looking on the internet. Okay, well, how can I get some money? How does this even work? I need to learn how to do it. You know, how do I talk to people? How do I present these things? And 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 it was difficult doing that while trying to get money, while trying to survive, right? Because when you're and I learned this in business, and it's probably the thing that I've learned. The biggest thing I've learned in business is that, like, I, like. As, as, as Maslow said, says in his hierarchy of needs, if you haven't met your fundamental needs, it's really hard for you to worry about the needs above it. Just fundamentally, it's as simple as that. As when I was dropping, when I was was struggling financially and I didn't have enough to survive, it was really, really difficult for me to think to think about my company's vision and think about like how am I going to develop my business. Like no, it's like my mind is about hey, how am I going to eat? How am I going to pay for my employees? And so it was, it was just a difficult time getting through that phase and just trying to get through. So it was about getting loans from family, getting loans from friends and trying to get cash here and there and just, you know, and, you know, about middle, about somewhere in the middle of that year, I broke down the second time, right? It was like, at one point- That sounds I, like a lot of pressure. Yeah, at one point, I, I, I did not know what to do. I, the business was doing okay. And then the pandemic came down and hit us. So we shut things down for what, five months? And and because my employees were depending on me, I I I I could not not pay them, right? Because it's like they 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 opted to come in and jump into a startup. They took a lot of risk to be with me and I just couldn't let them down. So it was like I had all this pressure to say, hey, I have to take care of these people. So they, they worked from home for I don't know, four months and I they didn't miss a salary. I didn't have a salary. And then, you know, my family and my mom was sick, sick. So we had to like, you know, pay for her, her hospital bills. And, you know, my kids, I have kids in the U.S. I had to pay for them. And 
you know, the business, you know, was just in standby because everything was shut down and it was just, and, you know, it was just everything put together in that time. And I was just like, at one point, I was just like, I don't know what to do. I have no other avenue. I have borrowed money from everyone I could possibly borrow money from. And I have no other alternative. And I just broke. I just sat down and cried. I was like, this is it. I'm, 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 you know. And so, but then, you know, but then it was like, okay, I got through that. I, you know, let's, let's sit down and figure out, okay, how do we move forward? Right. We've, we've been, th we've been through this before. We've seen this, we've, we've seen this, this type of challenges before we've been through them. And so let's get back together and put a plan together. And that's how, you know, that's how I, you know, started working on, you know, working on coming back here, thinking about, okay, I need to probably come back to the States, try to see if I can get something part-time to get some cash flow, at least to relieve the pressure on my, just relieve that pressure a little bit um, while I'm here, mm -hmm. get to mingle with people that have a lot of experience in business, get to learn more about fundraising, learn more about financing and investment and all these things. And then try to raise some funds. And at the same time, working remotely from here to support my company, the company back home, work with the team. The good thing is that I had taken a lot of time in developing them and they, the team is very solid. So I was very confident that even if I wasn't there, they could keep things going. And that's how I, you know, eventually decided to come back for, for, for a few months and, and, and try to raise funds. And it's been very good because I, being here now, you know, I, I, but, but coming back, I came back a different person than, than I left, right? I, I was, I am different, very different from what I was before I left the U.S. the first time around. Because now I came here, I came to California, close to the Bay Area. And I live in a room. I didn't get, I didn't get an apartment. I got a room in someone's house, right? Kind of like an Airbnb kind of situation. And I didn't buy a car. I just bought a bicycle. I ride that everywhere. I, you know, I don't spend money. I don't do anything crazy. I don't, you know, I, it's a very, very different kind of living from what I did before. I found a little job, an engineering job that gives me some cash and it's relieved a lot of pressure. I'm able to pay my salaries, you know, kind of support my family, pay, help my mom. And I feel much better. And at the same time, I'm now meeting with investors. I am, I am, you know, kind of, I have kind of updated the next phase of the business we're getting more and more traction back home. Crazy enough that since I left, the company is doing much better. We are actually cash flow positive now since last, since last month. So, you know, companies less depending on me for finances. And, you know, we're generating a lot of interest on this side as well. A lot of people kind of, more I talk to people, the more interest I'm getting. I'm working to incorporate the company in the U.S. just so, you know, there's more, there's more record keeping here and I can justify a few things when I meet investors and stuff like that. Um, looking to expand out across Africa. So I'm traveling next next couple of weeks back home. And I'm also going to go to some other African countries to meet with some of the people that have, you know, we've met that are interested in kind of scaling. So yeah, this is summer, a quick summary of like what's been happening. But yeah, so we went through the beginning, went through difficult phases. We're still, still a tough time now, but things are picking up and and I have, I have a better, a clearer vision of kind of where, where we're going now. And things are, things are looking a little better. This, the, it's fascinating to listen, to listen to you. And I uh, need to thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing so much. This is like the, the 
consummate hero's journey and entrepreneur's journey, the, the ups and downs of the roller coaster, but really living it. And, and to hear it is just uh, like I'm, I'm glued to the screen or glued to my headphones, so to speak. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to hear that having gone through the, the depths that you're, that things are on the uptrain and, and you had to take a time, a step back to decide what the next steps were. And even if they were difficult steps, you're, you're taking them. So it's, it's very inspiring. Ro, thank you for, for everything. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. I know I'm inspired by this. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be inspired by this. I can't wait to, to even do the edits on this. It's going to be great. If, if people want to learn more, well, we'll do two things. One, do you have any parting message for, for the audience, whatever you'd like that to be? And two, thereafter, is there anywhere people should uh, go to learn more about Skyview or uh, if they wanted to connect with you? But first, any parting message for, for anyone that's listening? So, so, so the, one thing that, the one thing that I want to say that is that's important that I, I always want to add to, to, to everything I say is that entrepreneurship, as difficult as it is, it, it's very important that you have a vision, a clear vision of where you're going, because that, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going, because the journey is rough. It's very rough. And that's why most entrepreneurs fail. Is because the vision, you have to have a very clear vision of where you're going. Because in the difficult time, that's what's in difficult times, that's what's going to keep you going. And and so it's just to encourage people, if you want if you want to be an entrepreneur, take time and think about what is what is the vision, right? It's not just about okay, it's not just about okay, making a business and being successful, but what's the vision? What's the big vision? And and make sure that 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 is something that's very solid that no matter what happens that 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 doesn't go anywhere for me as i told you earlier my vision is is impact right it's about impacting people that is my vision that's what drives me so when i talk to you now and you tell me man this is inspiring me i am i am happy because that that's feeding into my goal it's feeding into my vision which is impacting people positively right so tomorrow skyview may not work it may be like okay it may fail I don't think it will, but it's a possibility. And if it does, I wouldn't have failed. I would absolutely not have failed. Like I would be perfectly happy if tomorrow I call you and say, man, this thing worked out. But along the way, I, I was able to impact people. I was able to inspire people to want to try themselves, to want to take that risk, to want to do more, to want to make a difference, right? And, and, and that is the goal. That's the vision. That's what drives everything. And, and I want people to find that. In, in everything that they do because it will keep you going. The other thing that I, that I want to, that is important to point out also in, in this thing is that you have to, it's important to remind yourself of the luxury that you have, right? No matter what happens, there is, and I, and I told you that in the beginning is that we're privileged and we, we, under, we underestimate how privileged we are. It's a privilege for me that I can go offered myself to a different continent and offered myself back. And then it's a, it's a privilege, right? Because now I'm a US citizen. I have all this education. I have all this luxury that I can, I can take more risk than more, some people can afford to take, right? And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, reminding yourself of that keeps you going. And what I've learned, what I've learned is that there's, there's a huge fulfillment in giving. And we give, and although it's counterintuitive, we should give more when we have less. Hmm. In my most difficult times, the times where I felt the worst, when I was breaking down, 
the things that got me through it is finding someone else to help. Right. I would, if I have a dime and I'm like, man, I'm struggling. I'm trying to find a million dollars for my company. And I, right now I have maybe $10,000 in my account. Well, somebody has a $500 problem. I'm going to help them out. Right. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's finding, it's, it's, it's finding a way to, to make a difference in people's lives, even when you're at your lowest, because those are, those are the most valuable things, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. And the last thing is about physical fitness, hmm. right? That is also, that's been a huge part of my kind of keeping things together is about, you know, because your physical fitness fits, feeds into your self-confidence and fitness of your body, you know, and fitness of mind, they work hand in hand. Right. So when you work hard and you, you know, kind of push yourself physically, I think it kind of, I don't know, some neurons or whatever in your mind gets you kind of pumped up a little bit. It gets you going, gives you a good spirit. When I go have a basketball game and I whoop somebody's ass, you know, and, you know, it's like, man, I feel good. This is like, yeah, I can do this. Right. It's that feeling, uh, you know, I think fitness, so people should, should not let themselves get so absorbed in work that they stop doing the things that makes them happy. That's a trap that we fall into. Like, oh, I've just been working the whole time. I don't have time to. I love playing basketball, but I don't have time to play basketball because I have to work. I think that's a mistake. I, I think people should find those things that make you really happy and don't stop doing them. Find a way to get them done no matter what. And, and it'll give you some balance and it'll keep you, you know, balanced when, when, things, are, when things are rough. So that's, that's my, I think that's my parting statement. And then for Skyview, I'd say, my, you know, my, you can contact me on, on LinkedIn, you know, my Raul, I'm sure you have my name in there in, in your description, but skyviewsolutions.com, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, my emails, you know, you can contact us, you know, my, my phone number, I don't know if my phone number is there, my email address is there, but I'm happy to share my phone number too. It's not, it's not like I'm a, like a celebrity or anything where I'm hiding my number. That's what you think. Maybe you are a celebrity, Raul. This that 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 was beautiful, man. And it it is going to impact people's life. This is this has been impactful, and and it's impacted me. So I want to just thank you again for your time today, for your energy, for your honesty, for for being a, a part of this conversation, and and for sharing. So thank you. Hey, I was it was my absolute pleasure to come on and and share. I'm always happy, always happy to share anything I can. I'm always happy to uh, to do that. So thanks, thanks a lot for having me. And yeah, anytime you want to have a conversation, let me know. I'll come right back. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll end it there. This concludes another amazing episode. Don't forget to share it with a friend or share it on social. If you found something that you liked or a little tidbit that you think someone should hear, it really helps the episode to grow. And with that... My name is John Wade. This was Rise and Shine.